Our scripture, our scripture this morning. <clears throat> the message is entitled "The Promise, the Promise of Love," and um, her scripture comes from Isaiah seven and also Matthew one. And just before I say that, I, you know, when I was, after I was, we did the congregational prayer. The one thought I didn't mention is remember those who are lonely. It's a difficult season. Christmas time is a time for family. It's a time to remember. It's a time to love. It's a time to laugh. It's a time to play games, cards. I'm not very good at playing cards. It's, it's fun to learn. Um, it's time for family. And there's many out there that don't have family. There's many that are estranged from their family. They have no hope and they have no peace. And so we remember them as well as we pray. But not also remember them. God lays on your heart. Call them. Text them. Visit them. See how they're doing. You don't know what you could do simply by doing that. Our scripture. Isaiah 7. Yes, Isaiah 7.10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. It is not enough. Is it not enough for you to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. And then Matthew. And this just echoes Isaiah, or it's the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before he came, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant to the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to, to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Amen. Amen. The first candle that we lit a few weeks ago symbolizes hope. Hope is not a feeling. 
It's not a wishful thinking. Hey, I hope you have a good day. No hope is far deeper than that. A whole mountain of memories cannot compare to the power of hope when you have it. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And this assurance invites us to see that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. The second and the third candle symbolizes peace and joy. They come from an uncorrupted place, a place of light and purity, a place where God's presence dwells. Yet often we give up this peace, we give up this joy when fears, very real fears, addictions, failure to forgive, and even protecting our own comfort take first place. Often those sins of selfishness, even of others, can be the reason for someone else's pain and inability to trust others and to trust God. And all this actually can make a person, even a Christian, nasty. And it can distort their view of the world. And it can become a prison for the soul. And yet often, I don't know why, God has to strip everything away before one can lose control and to surrender fully to this hope. Ahaz had nothing left. He needed to surrender, and yet he couldn't. Joseph, on the other hand, did. So, in our lives, we see that God will often patiently wait till we can't tolerate ourselves and our situation anymore. And we cry out for him to help us. It's often said that if you tolerate it, you'll never change it. But if you come to the point where you can't tolerate it, that's where you'll begin to change. As Pastor Dan said last week, the more you aim at earthly happiness and pleasure, actually, the more you'll miss it. If you aim at it, you'll miss it. And the more unhappy you'll become. Because it's not the purpose of humanity. It's not why we're created. We're created because of... To build character. To build virtue. Godly virtue. Of wisdom, self-control, justice, and courage. And also along with the triad of faith, hope, and love. You see, in harmony with Christian community. Because we do life together. We listen to each other, we love each other, we support each other. God has made this church to be in community. And as we do, we begin to trust. Just as an inventor knows their invention, just as an author their story, as a painter their painting, so also the maker of the human soul knows his own creation. That's why we look to God. That's why we need God. That's why we abide in God. In the beginning, God created We need his help. We all have bad seasons. We all have tough times. But the goal is to always seek his peace and to be surprised by his joy. We are meant to enjoy life. And actually, as Christians, we're the ones meant to enjoy life the most. Why? Because we don't hold on to this life the way that other people do. 
we can let go. We don't take life so seriously because we know that earth is not our home. The fourth candle is called the angel's candle. That candle symbolizes love. Of all the virtues, love is the highest and the most important of all. It's not a feeling. It's not a pleasure. It's far deeper and richer and everlasting. God did create our emotions, and emotions are important. They're very important. But love goes deeper. Love is a sacrifice. It's the key to love. John 5, 15, 13 says that no greater love than this is that one would lay his life down for one's friend. And what is more profound than this is that God, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. However, the story doesn't end there. Let's use an earthly scenario. It would be completely just if a judge sentences a murderer, a thief, a criminal to life in prison. And actually, it'd be just if a judge actually sentences, sentences him to death. But if that judge takes that person, that criminal, that thief, that murderer, and puts him back on the street without an assurance that he has changed, would he be a, a good judge? He'd be unjust. He'd be stripped of his robe, never to be a judge again. But if a judge came and took his robe off and willingly went down to the place where that criminal was and said, I'm going to die in the place of that criminal so they can have their life back, that would be almost absurd. It would be ridiculous. Because who would die for a criminal? But the story doesn't end there. So if love is not a feeling, if love is not even a sacrifice, then what is love? Well, we know that God is love, right? That's what the Bible teaches. But we can't just open the door of heaven and just walk in and bask in his love in a way that maybe we'd often like to. We have to shed these bodies in order to do that. That's when we get to be fully in the presence of God. But until then. So, in this passage, theologians, they, they use this fancy word called the incarnation. God uses the word Emmanuel. God with us. God dwelling among us. It's something that the angels longed for. That the prophets foretold. And so this passage in Isaiah. If we look back and read the whole story from the start of the chapter. We see that Judah and Israel, they were divided. King Rezin of Aram and Pekah son of Remaliah. They had some names back then. King of Israel was about to come against Judah and destroy it. So King Ahaz, he had nothing left to hope for. He was at the end of his rope. The only thing he could do is have an almighty God come through and help him. So in verse 4, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah. 
Say to Ahaz, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of those two smoldering stubs of firewood. Your enemies are plotting for your destruction, but guess what? It's not going to happen. But if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. But then in verse 11, God says, ask the Lord, ask the Lord for a sign whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But then Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put my Lord. I will not put the Lord to the test. I don't know. When I read those verses, I thought, I think I would do the same thing. I don't want to test God. I don't want to test God. You see, Ahaz couldn't tolerate his situation anymore. He had nothing left to hope for. But God wasn't displeased because Ahaz refused to test him. Was it because Ahaz refused or Ahaz struggled to trust him? To trust him. So Isaiah almost as if he went into a daydream, goes completely off into left field, seemingly out of nowhere, predicting something that will happen 700 years into the future, long after Ahaz is dead and gone. And he says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. And before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Who is this Emmanuel that Isaiah is talking about? Well, it's literally God becoming human and dwelling among us, what we celebrate here at Christmas. And then Isaiah, almost like he just snaps out of it. As he wakes up, he switches back to the more present invasion. The Lord will bring on you and on your people. Just like midstream, the present. He foretells something that will happen in the future. And he comes back to the present. And then we read in the story of Matthew 1, the verses that we read. He shares of a man named Joseph. And upon hearing that his fiancée Mary was pregnant, he thought, I better divorce her because I don't want to shame her. I don't want to cause her public disgrace. But then God so graciously gave him a dream. And he said this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home to be your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Very different response from Ahaz. Joseph took the risk and trusted God. And we read that in these verses right here. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, 
Very different than Ahaz. He did what the angel commanded him, and he took Mary home to be with him as his wife. And later on, she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. I found it interesting when I was looking into this that Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. He couldn't because the curse of sin had to be stopped. It couldn't happen through human passion and desire in order for God to become a baby. So like Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and so many others, Joseph trusted what was taking place, even though he couldn't fully realize it. He couldn't fully see it. You see, God was colliding with humanity. So we go back to the issue of ourselves, our own control. We need to be careful, even as Christians, that we don't let our religion, even our own reform tradition, even the way we do things become a snare and a stumbling block for ourselves. Because often these things Satan uses to divide us, to destroy us. It's true, we need a form, we need a structure, we need a way that we do things. We need a biblical understanding of, of, of the Bible that makes sense to us. We need harmony, we need unity. Just as a piano, you have to play it in harmony in order for you to hear the melody. It just makes sense. But in the end, it's not the main thing. The main thing is Christian character. Getting to know God, to trust Him more, and loving those who are desperately hurting. You see, James says that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. That's the whole point of why we believe. So the Christmas story, it's not just a nice story. It's actually a fantastic story. It's got all the elements of a just couldn't get a better story than the Christmas story. But have you made it your own story? Have you made it your own story? If you're unsure of who God is and how much he loves you and how much you need him, he is inviting you today to surrender your rights to yourself and to become with him, become one with him in faith and trust. When you do, you will see the depth of your sin, but also the height of his love. Just listen to these two examples that have really encouraged me. While serving as a captain in the Red Army during World War II, Alexander Sholskininsky was arrested and sentenced to eight years in the prison system. And then he was in exile for the rest of his life. And he did this because he just simply criticized the Joseph Stalin in a private letter. But like Ahaz, unlike Ahaz, who couldn't control what was happening, and God came to him, and yet he still refused to trust God. A man like Alexander, just like Joseph, heard the voice of God and surrendered. He let go of control and let God. And in that prison, 
he finally was able to say, bless this prison, bless this predicament that I was in. For as I was sitting there rotting upon that straw, I came to realize that the object of life is not prosperity, as we were made to believe, but the maturity of the human soul, Christian character. And then he realized that it really wasn't about political liberation or prosperity alone, because every person needs to be liberated in their own soul. Story number two. Chuck Colson had converted to Christianity in 1973 after serving four years as special counsel for Richard Nixon. He read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. God uses the writings of these authors to help us. And was pivotal for his spiritual repentance and his awakening. So he pled guilty. And he was in prison for his role in the Watergate scandal in 1974. And as he was in that prison, he realized that his life wasn't about living for himself. And he realized that he needed to do something for those that he left behind. God was showing him in that prison cell that life was not meant to be lived for oneself but to bring God's very love to those people that he left behind. So after his time in prison, God moved in his heart and he started Prison Fellowship International, helped mobilizing the Christian church to bring hope to prisoners, basing his ministry on the words of Jesus, I was in prison and you came and you visited me. You see, he knew the gospel message first involved loving people even those who are in prison to help restore their relationship, give them hope to help their families, to help all those who are suffering because of what happened and to integrate them back into the community. You see, no one cares what we know until we know, until they know that we care as the saying goes. So where am I going with all this? The incarnation The Christmas story, God becoming a baby, born in a dirty barn because there's no space in a much nicer hotel or motel, means nothing, means nothing outside of the mind-blowing action on the part of God himself to allow his own son to be judged and punished in the most painful and humiliating way so he could overcome darkness and sin in order to set us free from the prison of our own soul. You see, the Christmas story starts at the manger, but it ends at the cross. There, God settles the score, so we don't have to, because we can't. Because we can't. So back to the illustration of the judge. If he came and died in the place of a criminal... But then what if he came back in spirit? And not only just a regular judge, but the judge of all the earth came back in spirit to that prison cell where that criminal was awaiting death and said, guess what? I'm going to come and I'm going to live within you and I'm going to help you by putting myself in you. And I'm going to help you to be a better person. 
I'm going to help you to find hope, to find joy, to find peace. That would be the highest form of humility, of grace, and the deepest and most profound love ever. And that is exactly what God did for us. And Jesus himself said to his disciples, that's why I'm going away so the Holy Spirit can come. And when I'm gone, I will send the Spirit to be with you. Don't get confused about understanding the relationship of the Trinity. Many have been confused and it's tripped a lot of people up. It's true profound to understand. But there's a beauty in this perfect relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a relationship that we're meant to enjoy as well with him and with others. God dwelling among us was so he could be punished for us in order for him to literally somehow live within us. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives within me, says the Apostle Paul. We're just going to have Cole come up. and The day on the slopes of Calvary, God shook the foundations of hell, And he put darkness on high alert. There's nothing more certain in time or eternity than Emmanuel dying on a cross so we can have a relationship with the source of all power and love. And it all starts with surrender. And then this hope becomes our anchor, our peace, our joy. As it moves us to forgive others. Even if they spit in our face. Even if they hate us. So God becoming a baby was for the purpose of putting away sin. The cross is the center of time and eternity. It displays the very nature of God, and it's the only door to experience God's love. It's so simple because it cost God so much. And we discover and we continually discover as long as we have breath in these lungs that these bodies, that his strength really is made perfect in our weakness. The highest expression of love is displayed not in power, but in humility. So God invites us. If you're a Christian, simply pray for all those who are trapped in the prison of their own souls, who desperately need hope, peace, joy, and love. If you're wrestling as a Christian, you can't see the fog, you can't see the, through the fog that is stealing your own humanity, then recommit and surrender again. God will not let you rest until you identify and get at the root of what steals your peace and your joy. And what your heart truly longs for. Often, often it involves controlling the situation, but it actually manifests itself in losing control. Later in Matthew, Jesus says, What good is it if someone gains the whole world and yet loses their own soul? What good is it? 
We need the help of Christian community, of counselors, to help us to see some of those things, those root problems. But in the end, it's understanding his forgiveness and his love. And he's calling us to discover that he alone is the answer. So God is asking us to bow our heads and pray. It's not just the words that we say, but it's his spirit connecting with our spirit. So let us pray. Let us repeat these words as we do. And say after me, Lord Jesus, I admit that I am selfish. That I want to control things on my own. I ask that you forgive my sins against you and those I have hurt. Show me the depth of your love. Becoming Emmanuel. So you could die a sinner's death. My death on that cursed tree. I surrender and ask you to come into my life. Take control of what's been controlling me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. It won't be easy. It won't be easy. We invite the worship team to come forward. But his way is better than ours. Men like Alexander, Chuck Colson that inspire me, but also the many others, came to see that God will not disappoint when you surrender to him. He is the source of all true hope, of true peace, of true joy, and the ultimate love. And God calls each and every one of us to live the rest of our lives living for him. And when we do, he will give us the promise of eternal life. Amen. Amen.